Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4024 of the Bugle, the world's leading resource of objectively undisprovable truthishness for the week ending Friday the 14th of April 2017. Yes, another week in the bank without Armageddon, as, as we record. We are recording on Wednesday this week, so that may have changed. If you are listening to this whilst floating through the universe amidst the wreckage of a once great planet, then, uh, well, enjoy the show. Um, I'm Andy Zaltzman, holder of the world record for most appearances ever on a podcast beginning with the b and ending with eugle. Uh, records are made to be broken, though, and setting out on the path to try to catch me up are two more newcomers to the Bugle roster. Firstly, the first Bugle co-host who fulfills all of the following criteria. One, not a man. Two, not a blood relative of me. Three, not on the run from the International War Crimes Tribunal. And four, not a covert member of the Bolivian Secret Services. Most previous co-hosts have maxed out at two from four. Some, only one. Previous record, three. But hitting the full house from A, Australia, B, the Tea with Alice podcast, and C, comedy festivals all across the known universe, it's Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Alice. It's great to have you on the uh, Bugle. Thanks. I'm excited. I'm excited to be the the first lady. When I heard I was on with Sammy Shah, I thought you might be Mike Pencing me. All right. (laughs) But then I heard last week and I was like, ah, it's a new custom. Right, yes. Uh, and you were just uh, said while we were chatting uh, off-air in a glamorous showbiz way that you have uh, in your venue here at the Melbourne Festival a terracotta warrior. I do. I'm in standing. the Chinese Museum. It's, it's, yes. Is, it's that, is that in your rider, like your requirements in all your shows? Yeah, I want some, like, 15th century jade statuary and really bad acoustics. That's... <laughs> Those are my requirements. <laughs> also, on Bugle debut, whose voice you may just have heard, uh, let's play uh, Spot the Lie again, as we did with uh, last week's Bugle debutants. Uh, one lie from this list. Comedian, radio presenter, author, nominee for the coveted Taliban's Least Favourite Comedian Award and the world's highest-grossing Miley Cyrus impersonator. It's Sammy Shah. <laughs> I do a wicked Miley Cyrus. That's a clue that I'm going to give people right now. My wrecking ball wrecks places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sammy, you... Uh, are originally from Pakistan. That's right. Now, uh, how long have you been in Australia? In now? Australia, I moved here in 2012. So, yeah, a little over five years. Yes. Survived it so far. Right. And the story of how you came <laughs> to Australia yes. is, um, well, not something that any previous Bugle co host has. Uh, has experienced. We don't know for sure. I mean, we don't know where Nish started off in, (laughs) but yeah, I was in Pakistan. I was a comedian and doing my jokey jokes and um, some of them rubbed um, members of the Taliban the wrong way. (laughs) And take a joke? It's an actual interaction I had once. So I was on Twitter and the Taliban had just threatened the Pakistani television channels because they were criticizing them. And I went on Twitter like an idiot and said, oh, the Taliban complaining about Pakistani TV is like my grandfather saying there's nothing good on TV anymore. Dumb joke, whatever. <laughs> the spokesperson for the Taliban, his name is Esanullah Essan. He's a real guy on Twitter. His Twitter profile used to be him on a horse, <laughs> um, which is the same as my Tinder profile, interestingly. <laughs> And him on a horse. Him on a- <laughs> and he tweets at me and goes, Yes, but our old people have exothermic reactions, which is a suicide bomber reference. Right. 
I tweeted back at him and said, you haven't been around my grandfather after he has beans for breakfast. <laughs> and then he tweets, why don't you come over and do that joke in person? And I realize I'm about to trade fart jokes with the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a sentence no one should ever have to say in their life. Um, yeah. Wow, uh, I didn't know death threats were so like middle school. <laughs> but at the same time, I, like this, what is scary is a lot of my friends were like, He's kind of funny. I'm like, no, no, let's not humanize him. Let's not. Uh, also joining us uh, once again, uh, ex and interim producer Tom. I kind of feel a bit uh, shamefaced that the best we could come up with was Hotties from History and Sammy's trading fart jokes with the Taliban. <laughs> let's take a commitment to satire. 105 years ago, this coming Friday, uh, 14th, the Titanic inflicted minor damage on a rather cocky-looking iceberg with its uh, trademark Berg shunter move, um, which uh, declined in popularity in shipping circles shortly afterwards. This week, apparently hundreds of icebergs are once again flooding the shipping lanes off Newfoundland. The little shit. Um, <laughs> take a look at the global warming stats, losers. You are going down. We're going to melt the shit out of you sip-shinking bandits. It's taken a while, but vengeance for the Titanic is a dish best served not quite as cold <laughs> as it used to be. <laughs> also, on uh, 1865, the 14th of April was the day that uh, celebrity American Shakespearean actor John Wilkes Booth rather scuppered his own chances <laughs> of being cast in many more blockbuster smash hit stage productions by casting himself as himself in The Man Who Assassinates Abraham Lincoln. Got to feel a bit sorry for Booth's agent. <laughs> John, this, this really is not doing anything for your career. I wonder if his agent took 15% of the jail sentence. <laughs> On the 12th of April, as we're recording today, Wednesday, the 12th of April, 1992, Euro Disney opened. Uh, that was, of course, one of the lesser-known clauses of the Treaty of Versailles in uh, 1919, <laughs> allowing Americans to send people to Europe in giant mouse outfits whenever they wanted. Woodrow Wilson insisted on it. One of the non-negotiables in his 14 points, he thought it might help Americans steal European cheese secrets and improve the quality of American cheese. We are recording early this week on a Wednesday, possibly, I think, the first ever Wednesday bugle record in history. Old Woden, of course, the... Uh, ancient Germanico-Norse godhunk who invented the third day of the week, pivotal third day, back in the year Saxon or Viking AD or whatever, filled uh, what had been a very awkward 24-hour hiatus between Tuesday night and Thursday morning. And uh, Wednesday is, on average, here's a fact, the naughtiest day of the week, being as it is the furthest from the likelihood of divine Sabbath-based retribution. <laughs> is that why it's called hump day? I like how you said that was a fact. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I mean, is it? How can anyone... No one can disprove it these days. The only truthful thing is Andy's said is his name. So. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Don't give away my secrets. Um, as always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, this week, because, Tom, you are heading off camping tomorrow. Aren't Don't you? taunt me. I've done a special uh, section in the bin, camping section. Including, we talk to ten of the world's leading architects about why human beings invented the solid roof. <laughs> Flushing toilets in a heated building versus hole in the ground filled with straw during a rainstorm. You decide. Which provides the better cryptic crossword-solving possibilities. We ask, is it time to accept that the Industrial Revolution happened and stop spending weekends in a field basically trying to de-evolute back into Neanderthals? And also, we look at how to have quality family time whilst hammering surprisingly bendable metal pegs into the cruel, cruel, unyielding earth, swearing at the vagaries of physics and being assaulted by an absolute Visigothic maraudment of wasps. Uh, that section, you know, have a lovely weekend, Tom. <laughs> I'll get back to you next week on how it goes, but I agree with all of that. <laughs>
Top story this week, coral bleaching is catching on, it seems. Um, <laughs> it turns out that basically two-thirds of the unbleached portion of the Great Barrier Reef can now consider itself bleached. Um, right. That's basically been a change in its status. Um, look, scientists are saying, saying this is a disaster and is deplorable and it means the death of the Great Barrier Reef, but... We have to consider another aspect of this. Right. Right? I'm from Pakistan. And in India and Pakistan, skin bleaching is a very popular thing. <laughs> it's got, we've got products called Fair and Lovely for women and Fair and <laughs> Handsome for men. And they right. exist because... You know, the British colonized that part of the world ages ago and enforced a very different beauty standard. My grandmother used to love me more than my sister because I was slightly fairer, <laughs> like 7% fairer than my sister. And Do you have that? It sounds like you have that measured. Oh, it's very carefully right. measured. Your job requirements <laughs> involve that. Yes. And the thing to remember is that the Great Barrier Reef is off the coast of Queensland. It's close enough to the Gold Coast that it's subject to the same kind of intense body pressures, you know, bleaching right. of teeth, anuses, yeah. the whole lot. <laughs> You've There's nothing that Coastal right. Housewives I mean, won't bleach. People, Dave, and you've gone with the anal bleaching very early on. <laughs> it's kind of like all in God. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I think that's just all it comes down to. It comes down to the, the coral part of the Great Barrier Reef succumbing to Western standards of idealised beauty. Right. And so think... you're essentially saying that the scientists are shade-shaming the corals. For, Absolutely. Um, and we should, you know, in fact, CO2 rights activist Gerton Fleitch who is the uh, bio-de-diversification spokesceptic of the anti-environment pressure group Splutterworld. He said, let the corals go for that trendy, faded look if they want. Who the f*** are we to tell the corals that they have to look the way society expects them to look? If us humans are allowed to bleach our hair, skin, clothes, toilets, or anuses, let's throw that into <laughs> yeah, the list, yeah. then we can't tell the reef it's not allowed to do the same. So, there we go. To be frank, I'm glad the Great Barrier Reef is dying because I think there's too many awe-inspiring natural wonders in the world. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't have time to be struck with the incredible beauty of our biological environment. I can't even keep up with Netflix. So it's, it's going to make Australia a more efficient economic nation if people are spending less time face down in the sea snorkelling going, wow, look at that. Yeah, exactly. So this is a great boost for the Australian economy. You um, lose a bit from tourism, but everyone's going to work a lot. Yeah, where's harder. the entertainment value in coral? Right. You know, yeah. there's no kind of heart-pounding have... serial narrative there. Yeah, it's old school. Coral, please. Bring something more. Bring a plot element at least, Coral. <laughs> there is one plot element. We keep blaming the humans. It turns out it's not our fault entirely. Starfish <laughs> deserve a certain portion of the blame. They call the crown of thorns starfish and they've ravaged the Great Barrier Reef by smothering and eating coral tissue. Right. And now scientists have found, and I'm, this is a real thing, that you can use the pheromones responsible for drawing starfish together to kind of push the starfish away from the Great, great Barrier Reef right. because that, that would work as a repulsive aspect or, and pull them away to other areas. Oh, um, I see. Well, so you just need to... So horny starfish... Basically. ...can save the planet. Which I feel like this is a modern take on the ancient Greek play Lysistrata. Right. Where basically it's about denying sex to starfish to prove... <laughs> That the starfish v coral war needs to end. I mean, they're luring starfish into massive orgies for science. I don't believe it's for science. I'll believe that. The <laughs> That's just a pervy scientist I, who's watching starfish. I cannot erase the afternoon when my brother's teenage friends decided to introduce me to Japanese uh, tentacle hentai. <laughs> I know how weird people get about sea life. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't believe that it's for science. I th I'm, I'm from, from an outsider's perspective, I, I've got to admire Australia mm -hmm. on this uh, 
this bareface balls. Oh, this because basically Australia famously stands on the shore of what is basically the biggest island in the world, a land with the lowest density of population per square kilometre of arable land of any nation in the world. Let's stretch it. Any nation in the known universe, and that is according to no less a source than Wikipedia, so it's a fact. And they say, despite all this land, to people desperately clinging to the precipice of existence and a boat, that there is no room. And at the same time, it can mark the release of the latest report on the environmental devastation wrought upon one of the world's greatest jewels of nature by flogging what can only be described as an inflatable grandmother load of coal to India and claiming that is going to be good for the environment. Well done, Australia. (laughs) I admire that level of barefaced balls. We don't do things by half measures here. One of the important things that you learn when you become an Australian, I'm a new Australian. I've had to learn the culture and tradition. And one of the big parts of the culture and tradition is you bullshit just (laughs) unblinkingly. Just without, like, you're just basically like, no man has existed in Australia before the British came here. And then you (laughs) hold eye contact until the other person leaves. That's how it works. It's beautiful. They've got a plan to pump cold water on. Uh, to st- slow down the bleaching, which uh, is basically like standing in a house fire, pouring a cup of water onto your wallet. <laughs> like, sure, you're preserving some of the values, but the whole house is on fire. What the fuck are you doing? There has been a, a backlash against the uh, Great Barrier Reef. Some are claiming that the reef is a hoax. Donald Trump has just tweeted that he's read on Infowars that the Great Barrier Reef is made of Lego bricks. <laughs> There are kind of a range of reactions as to how big an issue this is, ranging from, holy shit, this is the harbinger of a global mass extinction that's going to make the dinosaurs look like they're alive and well, via, this is an irreversible destruction of one of the greatest and most beautiful mega treasures of nature, to, oh, my snorkelling holiday's going to be slightly compromised. So, um, The thing to remember is people don't kill coral, people kill coral. <laughs> <laughs> And, and starfish, horny starfish. But yeah, we, we just need an election campaign. We need to make the Barrier Reef great again to trend on Twitter and we'll be fine. Alice, I was going to ask, is, is, there, is there any hope for, for the reef? Can we, uh, I mean, because some scientists have said that, you know, it's now too late to, to fix it. Well, I think what we need to do is put put a positive spin on this situation because I think a lot of people are too worried about the you know other nationalities coming in and mixing up our beautiful white Australia. At least we're we're somewhere where we're increasing the white population of Australia. <laughs> if you <laughs> one way to solve it would be the invention of a time machine, uh, but we're still some way from being able to turn back time, despite the best efforts of the British and American electorates. <laughs> Even if we did manage to get back in time, we'd still run into the same problems that have held back environmental efforts over the past few decades, which is essentially people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> um, I, mean, th- I think the important thing is that we are taking back Australia one delicate microclimate at a time. Right. <laughs> Some people are claiming that it's just a natural thing, that coral lives, coral dies. And I think it is It is natural if you consider, you know, human predation natural. Yes. But that, that's like saying when you murder someone that it's a natural thing because they live and they die. Yeah, sometimes. it's just accelerating the process yeah. and saving yeah. everyone time. Yeah. Eventually <laughs> everything dies. We're just helping entropy along. That's all. Well, thanks for lightening the mood, Sam. <laughs> Eventually we're all going to die. Happy listening, Bugles. <laughs> that's, my, that's my next Fringe show. <laughs> uh, some time travel news is breaking. The obviously fictitious sci-fi entrepreneur Elon Musk recently, um, in the search for uh, time travel, apparently accidentally turned his new prototype frictionless hope-powered car into a donkey. Uh, whilst his uh, lesser-known rival, Pilau Snork, CEO of uh, Innovax, who we've reported on on the Bugle uh, previously, Innovax, of course, the high-tech startup that's... Um, 
Set to launch uh, life-changing products such as the Wi-Fi, the first 4G-enabled campfire. You might like that on your weekend. <laughs> a literal and logistical hotspot, uh, which gives you uh, internet um, above 250 degrees Celsius. <laughs> and the Hologran, the first holographic elderly relative with mass market functionality. Snork claims that a breakthrough in time travel technology is imminent, possibly even as soon as 150 years ago. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> The trumpet section now, and there is at large currently, and I, I'm sure you would agree, the general sense that a tinderbox world in an age of cantanker-fueled politics needs a Trump administration in the same way that a clogged artery needs a series of wins in a win-a-decade supply of deep-fried whale-blubber sausages competitions. <laughs> and that's been exacerbated just today, uh, well, this week, by uh, Sean Spicer, the president's chosen conduit of verbal pandemonium, policy befuddlements, malinformative flobules of propagandic clod and assorted world-shivering pseudo-presidential horseshit. And he managed to break rules one to a hundred <laughs> of the beginner's guide to when not to make comparisons to Hitler. Rule one is, of course, ever. Don't ever make comparisons to Hitler. Rule two is, seriously... Ever. It is, at best, flamboyantly inadvisable and, at worst, blatantly unnecessary. I don't need to go... I can't go through the full hundred, but others in the list are Rule 12, uh, do not make comparisons to Hitler whenever there's a microphone near your face. <laughs> rule 27, whenever you're talking out loud. Uh, rule 32, if the year is any time after, say, 1933. <laughs> and rule 46, when thinking about something Hitler, quotes didn't do that someone not very nice is now doing. Because, A, if Hitler didn't do it, that's probably because he was too busy doing stuff that was equally <laughs> or more horrific. B, because if you suggested it to him and he hadn't done it yet, he would probably have said, yeah, that sounds right in my c*** and I'm going to give it a spin. <laughs> <laughs> and because C, he probably did f do it. Rules 52 to 100, C rule 1, ever. Don't do it ever. And oh. supplementary rule number 101, when your own initials are, well, what Sean Spicer's own initials are. <laughs> <laughs> Extraordinary. Yeah, horrific uh, events in Syria. He said even Hitler did not use chemical weapons. It was, just, it was kind of Hitler's thing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, kind it was of what he's... Kind of a bit like saying Elvis Presley wasn't really that much into music. Yeah. If, if you ask people what are the two things you know Hitler for, one of them is obviously hotel room paintings and the other one is... Using chemical weapons. Using chemical, I mean, it was, uh, what, what, what is he going to do? Like, back off it by saying, well, at, at least, you know, Hitler had the good grace to put him in a box first? Like, what <laughs> is he doing with his mouth? It's not allowed. Oh, well. At least, I mean, he's not in an important job, like, for example, a mouthpiece <laughs> for the leader of the free world. Well, thank you, Mr Spicer, for saving me four years of coffee expenditure because I will not be able to sleep whilst you or your boss are in your current jobs. The time he, he defended, he did try to defend the statement by saying it had been written in part by a Jewish staff man, member whose family members had survived the Holocaust. <laughs> and as, as somebody who is half Jewish, all of me is offended by that. Yes. I mean, you would have hoped that even as the verbal sulphur was still warm on his tongue, Spicer was thinking, I'll... Whoops, I've, I've, I've just flunked rule one, at, at least. He didn't let go of that either. There was a follow-up <laughs> statement. You know, obviously, as we know in the world of PR, when you make a gaffe, you correct it. That man must have an amazing gag reflex he, with his foot that far into his throat. But, well, he, he took That's... that foot from his throat and then pushed it further down <laughs> yeah, into yeah, his yeah. solar He's plexus. He's got a career in pornography after this. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of pornography do you watch, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Look, tentacles? <Yeah>. Go places. <laughs> 
Um, he said, and I quote here, I think when you come to sarin, gra- sarin gas, there was no, he was not using the gas on his own people the same way that Ashad was. He brought them into the Holocaust centers. <laughs> And I understand that. Of course, Holocaust centers are where you go to buy your affordable Holocausts. Um, it's Easter right now, so we have a two-for-one special going on Holocaust. He wasn't using his own people. Oh, my God. Holocaust, that's a whole new form of Holocaust denialism, where they're not denying that it happened. Now they're denying the, the wording of how to describe it. Not concentration camps, Holocaust centers. That's, um, oh, and, and and he called, of course, as as is a Sean Spicer tradition, he called Asad Ashad. Um, the uh, only name he's gotten right to date is Hitler, right. actually. <laughs> well, so. uh, he's, it's actually just early publicity for his new spin-off uh, fast food restaurant, Arbeit macht Fries. <laughs> <laughs> Top marks. <laughs> you You've come in with anal bleaching <laughs> and a Nazi pun. Strong debut, I just made that up just then off out of my own head. I'm very pleased with myself. If I were you, I would drop that mic right now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Spicer is uh, essentially a carrot chunk chundered into public consciousness <laughs> by the violent reverse peristalsis that gripped America's democracy last year. Oh. Uh, his, uh, a lot of people don't know much about what Spicer was doing before he sprang uh, into uh, global, global awareness uh, in the Trump administration. Uh, so to fill in those backstory gaps, here is the official life story of Sean Spicer up until the election of Trump. <laughs> 8th of November 2016, vomited directly from the guts of Satan. There you go. That's, uh, I, haven't fact- <laughs> I uh, haven't fact-checked it, but in that regard, he started it and it, it feels right. So in new Australia breaking racism news, our uh, famous comeback politician Pauline Hanson, like uh, the boy band Hanson, but worse, genuinely worse, has... has when you say comeback politician, where exactly did she come back from? From politics and then she went to jail and then she jail, came out yes, and is now back <laughs> in politics, sort of re- replaying her old hits, uh, just changing out the word Asians for the word Muslims for the most part. Uh, we are, they not, do they not mean the same? No. Well, no? Well, it depends on what part of Asia you're from. <laughs> the thing about Pauline Hanson is you have to know is that firstly, she's basically Australia's version of Trump and or, or Nigel Farage, but less successful, yet somehow more racist. <laughs> and her phrasing was, back in the day, Australia is being swamped by Asians. Yes. And so now, that was her early, her early hit when her she early exploded into the uh, public consciousness like a ball of jizz into your eye. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, just when you were finally blinking it out, she came in the she other eye with, uh, the other <laughs> with we are now to be swamped by Muslims. Yeah, so uh, it was swamped by Asians, now swamped by Muslims. On and, the bright side, yeah. it shows that she does believe in recycling, even if she <laughs> doesn't believe in climate change. Uh, but she's, you know, taken the next step in her ongoing quest to be the cartoon version of a bigot dreamed up by someone writing a children's book about the little racist who could. Uh, <laughs> she's been recommending that people buy non-halal Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I think is a, is a good start. I think we should all avoid all foods that are unintentionally or intentionally halal, like bread, apples, hummus and water. <laughs> but did you know uh, Easter eggs are actually a fraught topic in the division between Christianity and Islam, with Islam diverging violently from Christianity on the topic of whether Jesus could be divine and do a poo at the same time? <laughs> 
So Easter eggs represent the role of Jesus as a man doing poo, but divine in that the poo was chocolate. Oh right, so, so that's that. That isn't the uh, Easter egg that, that I, I mean. I'd heard that there was a big argument within Christianity over whether or not the Easter egg represents the actual testicles of Christ <laughs> or merely a pair of symbolic <laughs> messiah balls, but. Um, you know, there's always different ways of reading the scriptures. I mean, we can we can get into like Bible class later yeah. if you want to have okay, a theological we'll argument. Yeah, Andy. Like, One of the biggest controversies I've heard is that Jews and Muslims don't like Easter largely because the the Easter bunny isn't circumcised. <laughs> is our problem with it? But all blasphemy aside, it is important to preserve this country's Christian traditions of stealing other people's traditions and then refusing to let other people have them back. <laughs> You're half Jewish. I'm a halfie. Which so which, which half? So my family. I'm not, so my family history is my dad's side was Jewish, my mum's side was Catholic. They met in the late seventies, so I was born and brought up Buddhist. Right, so okay. I am, well, that's an average, is it? Oppressed, <laughs> repressed, and depressed. That's. I have all of the things. I have all of the neuroses of the Jews and the guilt of the Catholics, but I am at one with it. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as as bugles will know, I'm an extremely devout. Um, second generation lapsed you and at Easter <laughs> uh, I don't like to eat the Easter egg I like to eat a chocolate guilty verdict <laughs> <laughs> what's cool is Pauline Hansen has gone on to then endorse uh, like she so she said do not eat Cadbury chocolate because Cadbury is halal uh, but lint however is non-halal right. on Easter and so eat Lint, which now makes lint sound like it's anti-Muslim, <laughs> um, which I don't know if you guys know this, but the, the, in one of the big things that happened in Australia in 2014 was an ISIS-inspired madman took over the lint cafe in Sydney. And I was wondering whether maybe lint thought that the attack was because he hated lint as opposed to, you know, other things about Australia. And therefore now they're anti-halal. So that right. could have been... How do you make chocolate non-halal? Do you just rub a pig on it? What's the... <laughs> I don't know a better way, do you? Is that in one of your weird films? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dad's going to listen to this. <laughs> X-Men in Indonesia news now. <laughs> that is a headline we've not had on this That's show That's right. See, here's the thing. Um, the Bugle is very sports heavy, yeah. but as a geek, I've always felt it was missing that comic book news update. Right, okay. Right? And so I bring you that now. Okay, thanks. All right. So um, if you thought X-Men Apocalypse was bad... This is generating more controversy than the Cyclops and Wolverine War. Shout out to my comic fans. An Indonesian comic book artist, Ardian Seaf, who's the artist for the new comic book X-Men Gold, has been criticized for having hidden some political references in the background of several panels of the comic, most of which are against Jews and Christians. Right, um, and he's even got one of the panels where a Jewish character, Kitty Pride, um, is standing with the word "Jew" next to her head. There's a quotation from the Quran, which has been um, the the symbol for that quotation is on someone's T-shirt, and that's the portion where they criticize Jews and Christians. And he refused to apologize and said that um, you know he was inspired by these protests happening in Indonesia right now. And here's what we have to understand as comic book fans: that that I read comic books to get to escape from the world of politics and all those things. And in Indonesia, there's been a lot of controversy. There's been a massive corruption scandal creating a veritable fog of war, a true mist uh, 
Sinister implications. Oh uh, no, Mr. Sinister, um, an X Men villain. Yellow um, card, yeah, yellow card. It turns out that two Civil War servants tried pulling the Wolverine in one's eyes. You're, you're coming, Wolverine. You're in my house. You're wearing just, my clothes. <laughs> I just have <laughs> one or two more, and then I'm, I have to. Look, I have to. All right. By embezzling money from the identity card system, they stole over a hundred and seventy million dollars in their rogue scheme. Rogue, obviously. That was an easy one. I apologize. <laughs> I didn't even try there. I would um, have gone rogue gambit, but uh, I know, I'm I know. funnier than you. I, yeah, that is fair. <laughs> that is absolutely fair. <laughs> it was described by newspapers and even in one mag as Nito. Oh, Magneto. No. I'll, I'll stop now. Right. I'm I mean, start a crossword and then you're literally out of here. <laughs> My comic book reference is pretty much maxed out at Roy of the Rovers. <laughs> <laughs> 1980s uh, British football-based comic strip. That's because it had sport in it, Andy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if you do read it backwards, it contains coded messages calling for a far-right armed revolution. <laughs> Whilst the hit girls comic character Bunty, the eponymous heroine of the magazine Bunty, called for the overthrow of the patriarchy um, and the phased extermination of all men, if you read it upside down in a strong Mexican accent. So I mean, other secret off messages in art include the secret warnings about the Illuminati riddled through Playboy, uh, some <laughs> pretty dire warnings about the Japanese in the shadows created by Warhol's soup cans, and a rude message to Michelangelo's ex-wife just behind where God's finger touches man's in the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> not, to, not to mention the gay subtext of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. <laughs> in this instance, I mean Frankenstein the Doctor, not Frankenstein's monster, though. I think you'll find the real monster is actually the doctor. Because he what? created the monster. No, the real monster is the person who gets annoyed about uh, that kind yeah, of pedantic yeah, semantics. Fair. It's got very high hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we can go back to Octoporn if you like. Right. In uh, other fictional conflict news, there's been a, a, a computer game mm-hmm. that has become a bit of a hit in Bangladesh, which is a computer game based on Bangladesh's extremely horrific 1971 war against Pakistan. Well, War of Independence, yes. you should point out. So, yeah, the Independence yes. War, um, which it still basically shapes Bangladeshi politics mm-hmm. today. In some ways, you look at this and think, well, this is you know seems too recent to be making computer games out. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are... Well, there's Vietnam and Iraq War games as well, but let's look on the positive side. I think computer games can, can help people stop holding these centuries-long grudges. Because I, I look at Grand Theft Auto, for example, <laughs> the, which was launched in 1997, the first Grand Theft Auto, a game in which fundamentally you have to drive cars as recklessly as possible and commit violent crime. And in the 20 years since Grand Theft Auto has existed, road deaths in Britain have halved and violent crime has come down. So basically, these computer games are giving people an outlet <laughs> yes. for their fury, or in this case, historical resentments, that then... No longer spills out. I mean, if only the BBC had invented a computer game in the 1970s. That, and they, look, it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> And also, when you look at it this way, Space Invaders, huge in the 1980s, Space Invaders games, and not one single alien invasion of Earth since 
clearly fearful. They've seen they, how good they we seen, are. They are fearful yeah. of a generation yeah. of warriors honed to perfection. But I think you're right. You, the, the concern is the gap between the war and the video game of the war is shrunk too much because now yeah. we have Iraq war games and everything. And it, it, I'm just wondering whether the current wars are actually being created by big video games. I mean, that's <laughs> how do we know Syria isn't happening because Mrs. Pac-Man wants a comeback. How do you know that your Xbox isn't linked up to an actual drone? Well, now that just got real. <laughs> that just got real. I feel like we're one step away from that glorious future I saw in a bad teen post-apocalypse episode of 90s adventure serial Sliders. Do you right. remember that? Where everyone does all their that. fighting online and it leads to the extinction of the human race because people are too busy playing video games to bang. Right. Oh, no, wait, that's real life. That's not right. <laughs> Uh, one uh, other war-related computer game just out this week, Utrecht. Big hit, this, uh, selling several million copies in all countries. The year is 1713. Britain, Spain, France, Portugal, the Dutch Republic and Prussia have been at war for more than a decade. Can you negotiate a treaty that will secure peace in Europe for all time? What a game this is. Unbelievable. I mean, this is my beef with war games. It's all, all about the fighting and never about the aftermath. <laughs> and Utrecht is starting to rectify that balance. Uh, next year, Versailles coming out. That is going to be awesome. <laughs> Sports news now. Two extremely old cricketers <laughs> from Pakistan are retiring, including Pakistan captain Mizbar ul Haq, who has led Pakistan through one of the most testing periods of its uh, cricketing history, following a match fixing scandal and a period when they've not been able to play at home. To be to, fair, uh, that's most of Pakistan's <laughs> captains have led them through the most testing periods of Pakistani yes. cricketing history. But my particular disappointment with this is that Ms. Barul Haq is basically the only top-level sportsman still active who is not a golfer <laughs> who is older than me. <laughs> so your dreams of becoming yeah, a top-level yeah. cricketer are... Yeah. I mean, you're looking at uh, me, yep. the uh, Bondi Waverley under-12's most improved player. Right. In, so... in what? In cricket? Yeah, in cricket. Right. Why would I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we can improve player in what? Could have, been, could have been any. Could have been, I don't know. Um... Pick-up artistry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't consider that necessarily a sport. But, you well, know, you I, haven't I've read the out, game. I've been out of the game for a while, to be honest. <laughs> 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 well, that's it. You're straight. Everything is in your immigration system. You have a points-based immigration yeah, yeah. system. Everything <laughs> like points, it like yeah. a sport. <laughs> so, I mean, and how has your cricket career gone since then, Alice? Since you were, oh, you know, so far I sort of kept it up with the regular practices. Regular, which is say every Christmas, right. <laughs> I'll play a bit of backyard cricket and uh, badly. That's... Right. With with Santa Claus or with Sa- oh we didn't we didn't my my Santa Claus was my Jewish granny oh right <laughs> <laughs> that that was an old Dolly Parton song. Yeah. <laughs> Sammy as a oh. um, you're you're quite a cricket fan I'm I'm a cricket fan a cricket yeah. fan yes um, you're never enough of a cricket fan when you're Pakistani there's no, always or, someone more cricketer yeah. faner than you and you're never enough of a cricket fan when you're on this podcast either. that's right um, so um. So, yeah. But are they, uh, Yunus, Yunus Khan, one of Pakistan's best ever players. Um, well, the, the big tragedy here is that Yunus and Mizbah together 
have always been this great kind of batting duo and and we're going to lose that now we're going to lose this great pairing together they've been like a pairing as iconic as for example wickets with bales or curried eggs with lettuce or <laughs> uh, joint pain and tiger bomb or 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 the pants and legs right. so yeah i think we're going to lose out on a, on a great pairing now i reckon they have a great future ahead of them as a commentary team the statler and waldorf of pakistani <laughs> cricket <laughs> Uh, your emails, and this comes in from Dylan, who writes, Merch, question mark, since the Bugle Reformation, <laughs> which I'm, I'm happy to put the, the relaunch of the Bugle up there with the Reformation <laughs> yeah. that changed the face of Europe in uh, the mid-second century. But that was just Europe. But does this that mean world. you're now going to embrace logic? <laughs> uh, I've spent most of my life avoiding that, Alice. Do not even make me think about it. We did have to nail a baseball cap with you and John and the logo on it to Wittenberg's church door. <laughs> <laughs> Since the Bugle Reformation rights, I'm having trouble finding merchandise and I'm getting desperate. Um, well, yeah, I mean, just learn to live with it, Dylan. That's my suggestion. I'm booked to see Andy in Auckland. Oh, thank you for mentioning that, Dylan. That gives me a chance to crowbar in my weekly plug of all my shows. I've got another, uh, uh, well, week and a half by the time you listen to this at the uh, Melbourne Festival. Do, uh, do come along. The two live Bugle shows, uh, two Sundays, the 16th and 23rd, of April, then Sydney, 24th to the 27th, then Auckland for two nights, uh, 28th and 29th, and two nights in Wellington uh, on the 30th and 1st of May. Uh, so consider those gigs all plugged. Anyway, Dylan says, I'm putting to see Andy in Auckland, and if I don't have merchandise then, he might have to sign my moobs. <laughs> And no one wants to do that. Moobs being uh, it's a gentleman's. Oh, no, it's a New Zealand bird. It's a very rare bird oh, in New Zealand. Okay. Yes, yes. Sam is pulling a chain. He needs the man yes. boobs. So the man, the, ma- the, the male. Oops. Yes, oops. oops. <laughs> so then boobs oops. are the, the, the. What does the B stand for? Blady. Oh, of course. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> This yeah, is, all, if you were a ruthless commercial operator, this would be where you'd plug the Bugles website where they presumably can get merch. You can get merch, but it's all old merch with uh, some other guy's face on it. I uh, forget his name. Uh, no Christmas jumpers. Some other showbiz yeah. guy. Um, That's all right. You replaced him with a rotating cast <laughs> yes. of yeah. You just need like and, a rotating yeah. thing of Nish's face. If and, you put all all the guests who've been on the Bugle so far, put all their faces. In, in one, like overlay them and then take an average. It's exactly like John Oliver's face. Mm-hmm. That's all right. I add the feminine edge. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm on the uh, Bugle website right now. There's no merch button there. Oh, right. Really? Oh, we must have run out. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's it'll right. come at some point. You know, you know, I always get around to these very important commercial things within a decade. So. We have to wrap this up. Alice, Sammy, please, uh, mm-hmm. let's... Let the boys and girls know where they can see your your shows or listen to your other other works. Um, I am performing at the Melbourne Fringe Fest, Melbourne Comedy Festival as well. I have, by the time this comes out, one week of shows left at the Malthouse Theatre. It's called Punching Down, and it is an hour of comedic stuffs. Uh, I have a show, it's called Empire, and it is in Melbourne until the end of the festival at the Chinese Museum at 9.30, and then I will be in Sydney, and then in Perth, and then in Edinburgh at various appropriate times. There you go. Consider those plugs plugged. Tom, enjoy your camping. I won't, but thanks. I'll see you on Sunday for the live recording, which Alice will also be at. Um, Unless I drone camping. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's not rule it out. 
I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons people go, isn't it? Just for that thrill of the <laughs> raised possibility I mean, of look, catastrophe. Look, aim high. Aim for the trifecta. Drowning, bushfire and a spider. That's what you want. Drowning and bushfire is an impressive... No, that's a Tuesday in Australia. It's been done. (laughs) Thank you for all your thoughts. (laughs) Thank you for listening, Buglers. Uh, Until next time, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.